Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. You're listening to Morning Tide, the official morning show podcast of the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's your host, Ted Ramey. Oh, I think that's, uh, um, you know, coming off the last road trip, I thought we played pretty well. Going back home, we played well. Um, you know, I said in Arizona the other night, the first game of the trip, I didn't like our start. And, uh, you know, we weren't uh, work, doing the, uh, the proper things away from the puck. Um, I don't think tonight was necessarily, um, you know, uh, like that, I thought that you know the first period. Even though I think the shots were nine three, we didn't give up a lot defensively. Um, you know, and, and I think a couple of their shots came off a of power play. So I felt pretty decent after the first period, to be honest with you. It was the second period that you know we got in a little bit of penalty trouble and we spent way too much time on our end. And uh, um, you know we just didn't create enough offense again. We scored one goal in our last six periods of hockey, and uh, it's tough to win games like that and tough to be in games like that. So. Uh, um, you know, it, this is this is probably a great break for everybody uh, mentally, and, and we can come back and you know, recharge the batteries and, and come back and, and try and forget about this week of hockey and, and put a good weekend as soon as we get back, to be honest. All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Morning Tide. I'm your host, Ted Ramey, with you as always, and I think we can all agree that road trip did not go the way we were hoping it would, and... Uh, it really just it really just summarizes what has been up to this point a very frustrating year for the San Jose Sharks and uh, of course all of us that are covering the team or fans of the team or you know season ticket holders or going to the games buying the jerseys I mean you just you felt such big things were about to happen once again and you thought the start was slow and you saw the team rebound in November and you thought things would start to rectify themselves and then suddenly you're faced with this reality of December where the team just did not play well in the slightest. You make the change at head coach. Things are trending in the right direction, but then you're beset by the injury to Logan Couture. That was just bad timing and unfortunate, obviously, for for Logan. But, you know, it was the kind of thing that now looking back with a couple of weeks perspective of the Sharks have been doing some of those right things. They've been putting themselves in the position to win games but then you combine that injury with Logan Couture, and it's just been it's been it's been a lot to handle. It's been a lot for this team to handle, and I think that this all plays into the many many reasons why the Sharks have not been up to snuff this year. I mean, there's no there's no way to sugarcoat this, guys. We all know that this is not the expectation for the San Jose Sharks. They're not supposed to be out of playoff contention towards the end of January. They're not supposed to be a team that's trying to figure out what they are. They're not supposed to be a team that's trying to figure out how to make this all work. This is substantially atypical of what we watch year in, year out with the San Jose Sharks. And yes, in 2014, 2015, when they missed the playoffs, there were a lot of factors at play. There was the, it was the year after you know getting bounced by the Kings, blowing a 3-0 series lead. And there were just stuff going on, contract negotiations, things were not good. That was a different year than this because even in that year, 
you were in the hunt, and it was really, you know, some of those games like the the game at Levi's, the stadium series game, some bad losses through that stretch that really doomed you, but you were still you were still in it. And now, you know, the Sharks right now, I, I'm not in any way, shape, or form giving up on this team, but they've just put themselves in a very bad situation. And I think that's what makes this so hard, right, is that because you look at who's out there on the ice and you acknowledge that Logan Couture isn't out there, but you look at this team and you say to yourself, well, they have Eric Carlson, they have Brent Burns, they have Evander Kane, they have Patrick Marlowe, they have Timo Meyer, they have Tomas Hurdle, they have Mark Edward Vlasic. You go down the list, you think of all these high-quality, high-caliber players that can help turn this thing around in an instant. And it could turn around in an instant, but you temper those thoughts by wondering, why hasn't Eric Carlson been able to make the impact that you were hoping he would when he came back fully healthy? And, you know, I still think that the more and more time that Eric Carlson has to recover from a major groin injury, he will be a better player. I don't think what we're seeing from him so far this year is going to be the Eric Carlson we're going to see all of next year and the rest of this contract. But that's a question you wonder, is it why, you know, why hasn't he been able to be the impact player that you hope he would? And I'm not, I'm not saying that he hasn't been great at moments, but you just haven't seen him be as consistent as you hoped you would see. And you, you say the same thing about Brent Burns and Evander Kane. I mean, you, some nights he looks like he's the best player in the NHL and other nights he's just not there. And you wonder why this is all happening. And it's just, it's this cacophony of everything going wrong at the same time. It's not even just that if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. It's just that it's piling onto itself. It's the fact that, you know, Martin Jones is having a downturn in performance compared to what he was a couple of years ago. And it's combined with the defense not being able to find itself or having critical miscues and putting a, a goalie in a bad situation or Aaron Dale making all the stops in the world, but still the defense isn't able to be there or just one slipping through that you didn't need to slip through or you know, I look at that Washington game a couple Sundays ago. You're up 4-2 with a minute left to play, and I guess you're happy walking away with a point, but we all know we're not happy walking away with a point from that. That should be a surefire win. The Sharks of the past win that game, and that's why you get so frustrated. But you look at that game and you say it's a classic example. It's a game where everything was going right until it all fell apart. And it's, it's, it's weird to watch that happen so many times to the Sharks this year. Now, that wasn't the case most recently on this three-game road trip where they were pretty soundly defeated in every game. But there have been multiple moments this year where the Sharks have played 40 minutes of quality hockey or 50 minutes of quality hockey or 59 minutes of quality hockey but just haven't had enough or have just exhaled or have not been good enough to win the game. Or you go back earlier in the year where, what, they jumped out to a – 5 nothing lead on the Wild to hold on to win 6-5 or it was 6-1 and they won 6-5, something like that. I mean, these these are the things that you just haven't seen from this team. And I know that there's the, you know, you think to yourself, well, maybe they're getting older. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I know that Patty and Jumbo are old, but that's not, that's not the only thing that's been there. And, yes, I do know that, you know, Timo got off to a little bit of a slow start and Hurdle wasn't getting those points at first. and But they, you know, they've rounded more into form and, it's just been it's just been frustrating and that that's what I keep on coming back to and you you look at the the lack of performance that you were expecting right i mean you were expecting brent burns to be better this year or you were expecting martin jones to be better this year or you were expecting eric carlson to be better this year or you were expecting jumbo to not you know have a kind of a slow start or you were expecting 
you know, Timo to not have that slow starter. You know, you were expecting maybe Dylan Gambrell to be more of a factor and kind of segue into the NHL portion of his career. You know, you were just waiting for these things to happen, and they haven't really occurred as of yet, and that's why you have this frustration up to this point. But, like I said, because the Sharks have this talent, and because now they get a week away from the ice, which is another week for Logan Couture to get healthy faster, and I'm not going to be surprised in the slightest if Logan Couture is out there ahead of the timeline that was initially given because that guy will work his ass off to get back as soon as possible. I know that he can't really work a bone to heal faster, but if anybody is going to do everything they possibly can to allow their body to heal as quickly as possible, it's going to be Logan Couture. And you get a week off right now, you get a chance for the coaching staff to look and see if they can do more to make this team perform at a higher level, and then you, you try and go from there. And I, I do think a break can have an impact to shake things up. The Sharks have had little mini breaks in the schedule so far, and every time they've come back a little bit better. But I think that with everything that's gone on this year, with the change at the head coach, with the injury to the captain, this is going to be one of those moments where the Sharks have to be able to come to reality. It's, you know, the classic quote-unquote come-to-Jesus moment where all of them have to look at what they are expecting to happen versus what is happening on the ice and try and figure out how they can fix it. How can they be better at defense? How can they be better at offense? How can they get better work from their goalies? How can they fix what's been wrong up to this point? And, you know, with the Sharks, there have been moments where they have been able to fix these things temporarily where they've looked like they've been able to play things to a little bit safer extent and be more committed on defense, but sometimes it just it breaks down. It breaks down, and I don't know if this is the cumulative effect of all these years of making deep playoff runs or just the disappointment of those playoff runs not culminating in raising Lord Stanley's Cup. I don't know. I, I am always one to think that there is a psychological factor at play, and that's just part of it I I can't deny that it's not part of it I can't 100% say that it is part of it but I I think it's all part of it I think it's all part of what's going on this year and you can draw parallels to the year after they blew the 3-0 series lead against the Kings and there being a hangover effect of what happened in that capacity and I think the Sharks probably feel last year that if they had been able to stay healthy into that Western Conference final series that they might have been able to to push deeper and win that cup. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you have to wonder about what that does to a team psyche when you get so close year after year after year when you're so close to pushing that boulder over the top of the hill. And every year the boulder, just when you get it right on the precipice of going over, just rolls back on top of you and pushes you all the way bottom to the bottom of the hill again. I mean, I think these are all factors at play, and I, I know that we're getting, you know, kind of away from the ice here, but I, I have to look at these away from the ice factors. I have to look at Eric Carlson in terms of what he went through at the start of this season and some of the off-ice distractions for Evander Kane and the pressure that there was coming in this year for Timo Meyer and Tomas Hurdle with the lack of Pavelski, and that's another factor as well. Pavelski had been you know, arguably the heartbeat of this team, you know, not much, not to say anything against Logan Couture in the slightest, but Joe Pavelski had been that guy for years. And when the captain's no longer there, that's going to be a transition. And that's not to say anything about Logan Couture negative. I think Logan Couture 
is the guy. I think he's the one who was right to get that C on his sweater, and I'm as big of a Logan Couture fan as there is. But that does not mean that there was not a psychological takeaway when Joe Pavelski left the team. There had to be. It's not, it's not just hockey, guys. It's personal relationships. And you can go back to the interview I did with Logan Couture at the start of the year where he talks about those personal relationships with Joe Pavelski and the fact that he wasn't going to be out there on the ice with him. We all saw that ovation that Joe Pavelski got when he came back a couple Saturdays ago. I saw Eric Carlson get dressed after the game, who was Pavelski's teammate for one year, came running out. I'm talking to Scott Emmert, and he goes, Scotty, where'd he go? Where'd he go? And they say, oh, he went down that way. And, and Carlson went jogging down to try and find Pavelski because he didn't want to miss him before he left. He was his teammate for one year. And that's the type of impact that Pavelski had. And that might be also the type of guy that Eric Carlson is forms easy bonds, recognizes the importance of teams and their strength at that emotional core of friendship and that the impact that has. But I paid attention to that. It was duly noted by me and said, wow, one year of being a teammate and he's freaking out, literally running to go find Pavelski because he wants to talk to him. That says a lot. That says a lot about Joe Pavelski. That says a lot about Eric Carlson. And it says a lot about the emotional bonds that are formed in the dressing room for the San Jose Sharks. So again, a multitude of factors at play. It's the off the ice. It's the on the ice. It's the coaching change. It's the injuries. It's the fact that we're all disappointed with where things are right now and that they are all disappointed with where things are right now. They're still fighting this team, and there is still plenty of hockey to play, guys, and anything can happen. And I'm not even waving the Blues flag. Everybody's, well, the, the St. Louis Blues last year were in last place, blah, blah, blah. Well, in baseball, the Washington Nationals, blah. You know, I don't care. I don't care about what has been done in the past by other teams. I don't care about other scenarios that have come to pass. I don't care about any of that. I care about the Sharks playing up to the level that we all know they're capable of playing, and I guarantee that's what those guys are looking at. They're not saying, well, the Blues did it last year, or, well, look at the Washington Nationals or where they were at the All-Star break last year. They don't give two Fs about that. They're all looking at themselves and trying to figure out how they can be better. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. But you know what else I like that I was seeing? That there was still literal fight in the Sharks at the end of what was a bad road trip last week where the guys just looked tired on the ice, but still there was still that pride that they had amongst themselves. I like the fact that Timo Meyer and Eric Carlson were at the 49ers game on Sunday, taking videos together, out there being teammates together. I know everybody says, well, it's easy to go out there and, you know, you're, you're a famous athlete and you get to go on the sidelines of a big it's, – it's more than that. You don't have to go with your teammate. But you are out there with your teammate and you look like you're having fun. That, to me, is why, you know, in addition to what I see in terms of talent with the Sharks, is why I think that it's not – but not over in the slightest. It's a close-knit dressing room. I don't think there's a lot of exclusion. I don't think it's click-based. I don't think that it's anything like that. I think these guys are friends. I think they've been through wars together. I think there's a reason that Eric Carlson decided to stay in San Jose and not go elsewhere. I think there's a reason why Jumbo cannot put it down and doesn't want to put it down. I think there's a reason why you know Patrick Marlowe can come back immediately and be a, an impact player. 
I think these are all things that factor into what we see with the San Jose Sharks. But you got to get the offense going. You got to get your goalies going. You got to be better. I mean, there's no way to look at this and say, unless things change, then you're going to get the same results. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And for the San Jose Sharks, that means they're committing the same mistakes over and over and over, and that's why we've seen the losses pile up. But I will repeat that I am not giving up on this squad because the Sharks have so much talent and things can change so suddenly and there are still so many games to play that I am not going to be surprised if the Sharks are in the playoffs when all is said and done. I do not give up on the San Jose Sharks. And the San Jose Sharks, what we have seen historically, do not give up on themselves. And there's almost a little bit of a factor of where the team does respond when they're backed into a corner. But that's enough from me. Let's change gears now as we've got joining us on the phone lines the play-by-play voice of the San Jose Barracuda, Nick Nolenberger. Nick, what's going on, man? How are you doing? What's happening, Ted? It's a long time no talk. I uh, appreciate you having me on, and uh, things are good. Things are good. We're just rolling, you're rolling along in the season. we got the uh, All-Star break coming up, just like the, the Sharks have their All-Star break. We've got ours in, in about a week and a half, so you know you kind of work towards that. Everybody can kind of recharge once you get the break, and then you got that second-half push that hopefully for the Barracuda, hopefully that means you know getting back in the conversation and trying to get into the playoffs. Yeah, and I guess we'll go with uh, you know just kind of the up-and-down nature it's been for the Barracuda this year, and Obviously, we'll get into the, uh, the the changes at head coach or coach is, I should say. But I'm just curious, you know, in terms of your view of this, where you've been with Barracuda teams that have been, you know, really, really good, whereas this year that has not been as much the case. It's been up and down, and there's been good play. But then when there's been good play, suddenly those guys have been going up to the Sharks, and it's been a younger squad. So what's the 30,000-foot view on the Barracuda right now? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, that's where my vantage point is. It feels like sometimes at the SAP Center is 30,000 feet above. But, you know, it, there's ebbs and flows with young with young teams, and that's kind of what's been going on throughout the year. This is the youngest team in the league. And although you don't want to use that as an excuse as you continue along in the season, you know, the coaching staff continues to harp on, a, on systems and different things that it takes to win hockey games, getting inside, battling, winning those 50-50 battles that result in wins at the end of the day. And sometimes I think it gets a little frustrating for the coaching staff because, you know, it's a similar narrative that you're trying to reiterate night in and night out. But it certainly feels like things are starting to turn in the right direction. Things are starting to come together. Um, the expectations from an AHL standpoint going into this year, I think, were really high. I think everybody anticipated this being a playoff team and probably one of the best teams that the Barracuda have had over their first five years. Now, it's been a sluggish start, to say the least, um, currently sitting at the bottom of the Western Conference, but only eight points out of a playoff spot when you play teams as many times as the Barracuda do within their division, eight points out of a playoff spot isn't completely insurmountable. So certainly still in the conversation, but when you have a young team, you have ebbs and flows, and that's certainly been the case this year with this group. But there's tons of talent on this roster mm-hmm. um, with young you know, prospects that I think Sharks fans should be excited about. Now, are they ready right now to be full-time contributors in the NHL? I don't think so. I think it's still you know a couple years away with some of these guys, but um, certainly some pieces that should get you excited about you know the future and where this team could be. So um, for the Barracuda, from their standpoint, again, out of a playoff spot right now, but you put together two or three weeks 
of good solid hockey and you're right back in the conversation so um you know it's it's been a it's been an interesting season to say the least but i think everybody's excited about what the second half has in store because things seem like they're turning around a little bit i'm curious what your perspective has been when you've had um a, a joachim blickfield go up and then come back down or noah gregor who's gone up and come back down dylan gambrell does it seem like they're playing at a higher level than they were previously and i know it's a little bit hard to tell on a game-to-game basis but like when you've watched someone like a gambrell get an extended stint in the NHL and then come to the AHL, do they play like a more mature player in your point of view? Yeah, definitely. Most of the time they do where they go up and they come back with this, this increased swagger um, when they come back down, you know, they've got more confidence with the puck. Of course, when they're in the AHL, you know, they're playing most likely a top six role. They're playing on the power play. They're getting the puck on their stick, getting more touches. So that's only going to increase your confidence. But using Blickfeld as a perfect example, he went up, got his first couple of games, and he came back as almost a man-possessed, a dominating player um, at the AHL level. Now, for other guys at times, I think you go up to the NHL, and at times your confidence maybe wavers. It's you know the toughest league in the world. It's expected when you're a young player just learning the game and learning, you know, learning the league. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes you get guys coming back down and they, you know, it's, it's almost like they they lost something a little bit just because their confidence is low. And that's, that's kind of the idea sometimes for guys, send them back down, try to get their game, right. Try to get them some touches, try to get the confidence up. And then, you know, they'll get another opportunity at the NHL level. You can look at Gambrell as a perfect example. I think he played 30 games up top this year with a big club, only had a couple goals. I think the expectations were for him to have maybe a little bit more of an offensive impact. It's tough when you're playing down in the bottom six and you're expected to, you know, go and battle and be a physical presence when you're more from a Gambrell standpoint where you've always been you know a go-to guy um, whether it was in college or even at the AHL level so there's an adjustment to be had but um, I think everybody should be excited from the standpoint that Gambrell has come down and he's put up a lot of points he's been a major contributor with the group Um, his attitude has been great Um, he's coming to the rink every day and trying to get better so um, guys can take it two different ways they can come down and pout they can come down and not get better or they can turn it around and use it as an opportunity to try to regain confidence and only get their better their game sharper now another one i wanted to get in with you nick and again we're talking to nick nolenberger the play-by-play voice of the san jose barracuda here on morning tide the situation with the now former captain of the barracuda you were much closer to all this why why don't i get your recap on how this all went down and just kind of your um you know your your unique perspective yeah i mean what what a it's really been a bizarre year um you know that's the probably the best way I can way I can describe it with you know with the coaching change you know with Pete DeBoer um, being relieved of his duties his staff and then with Roy Sommer mm-hmm. who's been around in the American League forever you know it's it, it's weird to think of Roy not being um, with the Sharks AHL club he goes up and all of a sudden he just shifts you know all the all the balance and so you got two young coaches who go up and then you know I'd say I think it was maybe a month later then you have the John McCarthy situation happen where um I had heard a rumor that something happened medically um, uh, about John. And, you know, when you've got a, a pro athlete who's in his early 30s, you don't expect anything to happen, you know, off the ice in terms of medical emergency. But finally, when the information came out, it you know, we were told that he had suffered a stroke. He, he basically woke up in the morning, um, couldn't feel anything in his right arm. 
had trouble speaking. Um, he talked to his wife. His wife said, hey, call the trainer right now. She was scared for him. He eventually called the trainer. The trainer said, hey, we, we need to get you to the hospital. So he called the team doc. They got him immediately to the hospital. He couldn't drive, so he took an Uber. He arrived at the hospital, started talking to the lady. The lady actually thought he was drunk, too. He said he was kind of almost pinballing between cars on his way through the parking lot, which is, you know, this incredible and scary wow. stuff. Um, for a, a guy who's, again, in peak physical condition, um, and he suffered a stroke. So basically what happened from what he described to me was he had an undiagnosed hole in his heart, and it opened up by just simply stretching. So right now they've told him, don't you know, don't flex, don't stretch, don't do anything like that, because it could open up again. He's going to have a procedure on it. But basically at some point when he was sleeping, he probably stretched or maybe extended, had his arms over his head and that little hole opened up and it ended up having, I believe if not mistaken, a blood clot basically went through that hole and up towards his brain. And that's what caused the stroke. So they were able to get it and take care of it because it was within four hours in which he got to the hospital in which the symptoms started, um, which is kind of a window before major damage can start to, mm-hmm. to set in. Um, so really scary stuff. And, uh, he could have come back, you know, from a health standpoint, but it wouldn't have been until next year. So at 33, you know, he had already started to com- contemplate his future even before this year. And Joe Will approached him with an opportunity to join the coaching staff. He took about three weeks to contemplate it. Um, he decided that was the direction he was going to go. And I think everybody within the organization always anticipated him to take that role, yeah. but not this sudden and not in the fashion in, in which it transpired. So uh, just a crazy story. Um, certainly happy that he's okay. I mean, he's he's perfectly fine now. No, uh, no effects from the stroke, but... Um, definitely some scary stuff. And when he finally did address the team, you know, he went into the locker room. I was in there as well. And he tells everybody about the situation. He had already told them that he had suffered a stroke. But about three weeks later, he addressed him again and said, I- I'm going to call it a career. Yeah. And you look around the room and everybody's kind of got their heads down. And obviously, it- it's pretty devastating stuff to lose your captain in that fashion. But then he said, hey, I'm going to join the coaching staff, so I'm not going anywhere. And everybody <laughs> erupted. So um, it was it was quite the roller coaster of emotions. But, um, yeah, just an incredible story scary stuff but but happy he's still uh with the org and happy he's uh he's doing just fine and now uh, you know just and now starting a new new path in his career and, and his legacy so yeah. crazy stuff yeah definitely i mean you hear about this every once in a while you know in sports the one that comes to mind teddy bruski a linebacker for the patriots he had to deal with uh, some stroke issues. And it just it's funny because, like you alluded to, when you think of these athletes, Nick, in the prime of their life, you never think of anything off the actual field of play as something that could be problematic for them. You figure if it's going to take them out, it's going to be a, a knee injury or a head injury or something like that. It's not going to be this other underlying medical issue that nobody even knew about. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And you mentioned Teddy Bruschi. In fact, it was the identical situation. That's the same uh, thing that happened to John McCarthy is what happened to Teddy Bruschi. The same reasoning on the stroke occurring. So um, pretty incredible stuff. And for for J-Mac, he's a Boston guy, so very familiar with Teddy Bruschi being a Patriots fan his whole <laughs> life. And um, and then the fact that Teddy is from this area, just, you know, it's, it's just a small kind of interesting connection. But yeah, it's just, it's the last thing you think of, right? And it came just out of the blue. He basically skated the day before, and then the following morning, he was going to come to practice, and that's when, you know, the symptoms kind of set in so um just just crazy stuff it's been an incredible season um just a bit of a world one but 
you know, give everybody credit, part of the staff. I think everybody's just kind of taking it in stride and just trying to, you know, move forward day by day and, and just everybody's trying to do their best at this point. But, um, yeah, pretty crazy stuff. Just, uh, we're all happy. He's all right, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like you alluded to with the, with the changes at the coaching, uh, situation, you know, this is relatively unique because in hockey, you don't always see it's, it's certainly it's happened before, but it's not what you always see. But when a head coach from the NHL level, like you said, is relieved of their duties, it's not always the next step to bring up the guy from the AHL to start being as part of that coaching staff at the NHL level. But that's what's gone on with the Sharks, which obviously put things in flux and put uh, a dual coaching situation now with the Barracuda. So that's another one, Nick, if you could uh, explain from your perspective, because I'm not sure everybody knows the, the full details of that. Yeah, once the news broke about the coaching changes, the next question was, well, what's going to happen to the AHL level? Because last year, the Barracuda brought in a couple young guys, both former scouts within the organization. Jimmy Bono, who played 10-plus years of pro hockey as kind of an enforcer in both the ECHL and AHL. He was a scout for the Sharks for a couple years. Then they brought him aboard part of the coaching staff under Roy Sommer. And then Michael Chason a young guy who's in his late 20s, same situation. He was a scout within the organization for a couple years, and then he joined the coaching staff as two kind of co-assistant coaches. Um, And then with Roy Sommer going up, they basically took over the reins. And, you know, not calling them co-head coaches, you know, not calling – Jimmy as the older guy, the head coach, or, or Michael as the head coach, just co-coaches. So, again, a very unique situation. And then with J-Mac joining as well, it kind of becomes a three-headed monster. And for those guys, you know, they're, they're very knowledgeable, despite, you know, their, their youth in the coaching ranks. Um, you know, having both played the game and, and being immersed from a scouting standpoint, you know, they know a lot of different angles that maybe others might not. So, you know, the, the transition's been actually pretty good. These guys, uh, you know, it's different, obviously, because you don't have the voice that is Roy Sommer with all of his, you know, experience. But two young guys in Mike Chason and, and Jimmy Bono who have just taken it in stride and I think have done a fabulous job for the circumstance. And then, of course, trying to get J-Mac up to speed, too, because there's an adjustment when you become a player or when you are a player and then you, you join the coaching staff, mm-hmm. not just the fact that, you know, you know the game, but now you got to learn about doing video and, and learning the, the computer system and, and the different nuances that go into being coach as well. So, um, yeah, you can't say enough good things about Jimmy and Mike of, about what they've done and how they've learned on the fly. And, um, again, just goes into the uniqueness of this season and what has went down. Is there a, a tactical shift from what you have been noticing from the broadcast booth? Well, you know what I like is, uh, to be honest, is I used to interview Roy before every game. Now I got two options. So I get one before the game, and then I talk to the other it's one. It's all about the, game, the broadcaster, so it makes a Nick. Come on, on me. Now. So, you know, if one of them's getting sick of me asking questions, I just go to the other one. So it's like co parenting, to be honest. So it's uh, it's worked out pretty good for me. And, you know, I was just talking to Mike about it last night before our game uh, out in Iowa, and he, uh, he talked about, you know, for these guys and the systems that they're running it's an identical transition. What they're running in the AHL is exactly what they're running up in the NHL. And there was some small adjustments, you know, once the coaching changes were made because, you know, there's some things that they're doing differently now once they made the coaching change and they've adjusted down in the AHL level. They do the identical thing. So when a guy goes up, it's not a, it's not thinking about a new system and and having to do different things. You know, they're able to just play the game. And that's been the benefit um, of many of why they have the team now in San Jose, because the two coaches and Mike and Jimmy, they can walk 10 or 15 feet over to the other side 
talk to the Sharks coaches, kind of pick their brain, and, and there's just a seamless transition, not only from a player standpoint, but also from a coaching standpoint. It's really interesting, Nick, and I don't think enough people realize is how much intermingling there is between the Barracuda and the Sharks because, you know, I've been lucky enough to be out of Barracuda games and you see Doug Wilson walking around. I've seen, you know, some of the players there, obviously, you know, different scouts from different teams and, you know, the guys are out there watching and paying attention. And I'm curious from your point, for people who have not been out to a Barracuda game, which I always encourage them to do so because it's such a good experience and you get to watch the next generation of Sharks players, if they do come out, who should they be paying attention to? Well, there's lots of guys to, to keep your eyes on. I think one of the guys that you mentioned, uh, Joachim Blickfeld, you know, just 21 years of age. Yeah, a, a seventh-round pick by the Sharks. He led the WHL in scoring last year. You know, there's really only about a 10% chance a guy's going to be drafted in the NHL and play over 50 games. Um, but he's a guy I think who's going to, you know, be one of those guys who makes it. Um, he's already played in a couple this year. He's going to be an all-star for the Barracuda, a dynamic score, uh, just a, a tremendous release. Um, our goal tender Yosef Kornosh who's another guy I think people should keep their eyes on had a tremendous rookie season in the AHL last year he spoke about Blickfeld during training camp and said he's got the best shot in the entire training camp that includes all the Sharks players so gives you an idea of what type of you know shot that he has what type of release he has and what type of player is so he's one guy you should watch Noel Gregor who fans have seen up and down this year you know just blazing speed that's where the game's going now it is predicated on speed can't teach it you've got to be pretty much gifted with it and Gregor certainly is that he's just a burner we've seen it over the last couple games in the AHL he's just when he wants to turn it on there's no one who's going to catch him um, so those are two guys certainly you want to circle um, from the back end you know if you've got other guys a, a veteran and Jake Middleton who's a guy who's been up and down I think you should keep an eye on again mentioned Yosef Kornosh even Alexander True um, who's just 22 years of age mm-hmm. he's a He's a couple games away from playing his 200th American League game, and he's just 22. And he's a guy who's gotten better every year, an undrafted free agent by the Sharks. He's six foot five, so he's got tremendous size. Still has a lot he can add to his frame. Um, another guy I think who probably, you know, has a chance to get a look in the near future if he continues to trend upwards. And the last guy I think fans should should take a look at, he's got the biggest number on the team. He wears number 89, but he's probably the smallest guy on the, on the ice. And Jaden Holbgawks, he's going to win every last name battle he's ever going to be in. Um, but it's just a tremendous player. He's a guy who led the CHL a couple years ago in scoring, averaged almost, I think, two points a game. Um, and almost a goal a game. He's starting to figure it out at the pro level. He leads the Barracuda right now with 14 goals. Um, it just does a little bit of everything. He's a smaller guy, but he can handle the rigors of pro hockey. He's starting to prove that. Um, and he's doing what it takes, getting inside, battling, um, and finding success in that way. And that's what's going to get him up to the next level. So, you know, there's a list of guys that could keep going, on guys who have a shot, I think, to make the NHL and impact the Sharks roster. Um, but as you said, it, it's a great time, always fun. I think fans, they come, and if they haven't been to a game, they're always shocked about how much fun it is, yeah. how affordable it is. And, and just it's really good for families, too. You know, there's a little bit more room in the building than you'd expect uh, or, or be accustomed to with the Sharks. So you can spread out, you can stretch, and, um, and it's high-paced hockey. You know, it's a, it's the second best uh, league in the world. So um, certainly recommend coming out to a game and seeing the future of the, you know, the organization. And the other thing that's been really good this year, Nick, is how on top of it the app is at directing people to your broadcasts. 
Yep, the app has been, it's a nice one-stop shop. You know, in the past, we were on terrestrial radio, which, you know, as broadcasters, we all still love. But the way it's going is we're all going online now, going through apps, going through our computers. So it's an easy place to find the game. You want to listen to Dan Rusnowski during a Sharks game, you go to the Sharks side of the app. You want to listen to me during a Barracuda game, you toggle over into the Barracuda side. It's really easy. You click on the app. There's a list of different things. It's SAP Center, Sharks Ice, the Barracuda and the Sharks. So there's four different things you can click on. Each one will take you to a different portion of the app. So you click on the Barracuda. If we're playing that day, you click on the matchup in the top right corner. There's a radio icon, and that's where you click, and you can listen to the game. So it's really simple. You can also go to our website at sjbarracuda.com slash listen to watch the game. And all games are are also video streamed. So through AHL TV, which is a pay-per-view um, option. If you want to watch the games, you can do so as well. So, you know, we're on air every game, and um, it's an opportunity again to see the future and see, you know, kind of the progress of some of these young guys. Nick, I appreciate your time as always, man. We'll do it soon, all right? Appreciate it, Ted. Take care, man. Thank you. Nick Nolenberger, everyone, the play-by-play voice of the San Jose Barracuda and just a good dude, and that's what uh, that's what we see all over the San Jose Sharks. Everybody's a good dude. It's uh, it's nice to see. It makes my job easier. Um, just looking around some of the other stuff that we've seen recently from the San Jose Sharks. Obviously, we're going to be happy for Tomas Hurdle in the All-Star game. I am very much looking forward to that for him. Uh, everything Tomas Hurdle does is humorous. Uh, he's just a fun-loving, fun guy. Um, I, I saw the thing he did with Spitting Chicklets the other day where he was talking about superhero movies and stuff and my wife is just sitting there watching going like he's just like a big 12 year old i was like yeah yeah he is and that's what makes him so fun and enjoyable and i get a kick out of that i also like the individualized goal scoring song idea i'm really curious to see what songs guys have chosen and i think that's going to be uh very fun as well anything that adds to the environment at the arena i'm all for um you know it's not that i have anything against the uh the existing uh, celebratory songs, but you know what? Like, if the guys want this and they think it's going to make the the environment more fun, by all means. And that's something that I think that you need to look at as well with the San Jose Sharks. I think that everybody's been gripping since the start of the season after a slow start. There has not been the same level of um, just overall, and I don't even mean to sound corny, but just there's there's a level of joy that we see with the San Jose Sharks, a level of you know, fun that those guys have out there on the ice. And we haven't seen that as much this year because nobody has the same type of fun as when they're losing. But, you know, I've said many times this year that it's not about a win streak. It's just about consistently playing better hockey, winning two out of three, three out of five, five out of eight, seven out of ten, some stuff like that, where you'll see a little bit more of that creep back on to, to guys' faces. You'll see more smiles. We're used to watching these guys all having such a good time, and they're all used to winning. I mean, Brendan Dillon, he came here. His first year with the Sharks was where they missed the playoffs back in 2014-2015, but since then they've been making you know runs into the playoffs every year. Tomas Hurdle, since he's been with the Sharks, he has known success. He's had a couple of injuries, but he's known success. Timo Meyer has known success. Logan Couture has known success. Eric Carlson for came, came for one year, and now he has been a part of that success. These guys are all used to that success. They're used to being you know, the team that has fun on the ice. And this is all putting them in a, in a position where they're not used to being in. And I think that there, there is going to be a fight for the rest of this year. I don't think any of them are just going to give in. I don't think any of them are just going to roll over. They're going to be fighting to the death. Until it's over, it is not over. And again, I keep on hitting this refrain of, 
there's so much talent out there on the ice for the Sharks that things can change very, very quickly. And we've seen Aaron Dell put together some really good performances, and I am not giving up on Martin Jones in the slightest because I think that could be more of a mental thing than anything else. But this team has the ability to turn it around. And because they have that ability to turn it around, I think that makes them fight even harder and makes them grip even more because they know it's there. They know the quality is there. And sometimes it can come in a landslide. And sometimes it can come slowly. You have to, you know, you don't just turn the page in sports in one day. You don't just turn one leaf and then suddenly you're a different team. You have to fight your way out of it. And the Sharks have consistently tried to fight their way out of it. Bad start in October. They come back and they win a bunch of close games in November because they're fighting. December happens, and they come back, and they're still fighting. They're not perfect, but they're fighting. The injury to Logan Couture is still fighting. You have a bad road trip. Now we go into the break. What happens when they come back? What is that fight like? What is the reaction going to be on the ice? What is the rest going to do for this team? Are they going to be able to hit a softer reset button? I know we all looked at this switch at the head coaches. That's a reset button of sorts, but that's not the same thing as what we're looking now. Now there's going to be a little bit of rest and also a lack of pressure. And, I mean, you think about how much pressure there is. Sharks were in the Western Conference final last year. They're not where they want to be at this point of the season and or earlier at a point in the season, and Pete DeBoer's gone. You look at the Las Vegas Golden Knights. They made, you know, the, the Stanley Cup in their first year. They made the Stanley Cup final in their first year. They lose in seven games to the Sharks last year. You know, they're three points out. Gerard Gallant, he gets the X. Pressure is everywhere in the NHL. And by the way, congrats to Pete DeBoer for getting that job. It's going to make things very, very tricky because I am a big Pete DeBoer fan. It's like watching Todd McClellan now with the LA Kings. I like Todd McClellan. It's very hard watching him on that bench. But congratulations to Pete DeBoer because he's a great coach. And Las Vegas found themselves in a situation where they didn't like where it was going. And Pete DeBoer can be the guy to spark things. I mean, that's, it's just, it's a pressure packed situation for everyone, but because the sharks are not in the conversation, I think there's a little bit of pressure that's been taken off of them. And I think that can be used to their advantage as well. You have to put yourself in the mindset to where the negativity and the losing and the place you are in the standings at the all-star break can be put to advantage for you as opposed, as opposed to being a detriment. You can either look at this as, look at what we have not been able to do, woe is us, or you can look at this and say, no one's paying attention to us, everybody's sleeping on us, let's go back out there and be the team that we all think we're capable of being. I'm okay with that, I, I don't have any problem with that, and the team should use that to their advantage. But most importantly, see these guys get some rest, let's see them come back strong and you know, when we talk again in a week's time, the Sharks will have a game that night, and then we start watching what this team can be for the remainder of the season. This season has not been what we've expected, but that doesn't mean that things can't suddenly change. That wraps it up for Morning Tide. Big thanks to Noli, Nick Nolenberger, for joining me, taking some time out of his busy schedule to uh, talk all things CUDA. And a big thanks to you for listening, as always. And, of course, the San Jose Sharks for making this show a reality. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey, signing off.